the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, The Force of Optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. And now your host, Philip Naiman. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Firing Line Radio Show. This is Philip Naiman. I hope you're having a great day out here and a wonderful Saturday afternoon. And as always, we have prepared an amazing show for you today. Now, my guest is listening on the phone, so he might say he has a little bit of pressure put upon him, but I don't think that's very going to be very difficult for him. I think my bet is well-placed that this will be one of the best shows you've ever heard. Now, those of you who've been listeners for a long time, we've had some great longtime hunters on, you know, Lou Misterly, and then we've been regaled by his stories, and uh, David Combs, and some of these guys that have just hunted internationally and stuff. So uh, a couple weeks ago, we had Mont from uh, Alaska Sheep, uh, Doll Sheep Guides, and, you know, who I'm going to have an opportunity to hunt with this year. But I have searched high and low to find somebody, an old sourdough, to give you some hunting stories and what it's really like to hunt uh, from 40 years ago till today up in the wilds of Alaska and California and everywhere else. And folks, his name is Jarrett Owens. Jarrett Owens. He is the inventor of that wonderful binocular guide case that you see. If you've ever uh, been out in the woods and... and uh, Keep your binoculars in your backpack. You realize you're never using them. They're always in your backpack. It's always a pain in the rear end to get them out. So guys just walk around with binoculars in their backpack and never glass enough. Or they have a neck strap and they realize that, geez, you know, a good pair of binoculars are large and they're heavy. And now you've got neck strain and cramps. And that sucks too. Plus, every time you lean over or try and stalk and do a crawl, you're dragging your binoculars through the dirt or the snow or anything else. So that is another bad idea. Uh, even if you wear them across your side, sometimes they just swing out and they're in the way. They're always getting dinged up. So he came up with a great creation here. This is the binocular case. Matter of fact, if you're watching along on Zoom, if I can find the magic distance for the camera here, where'd it go? There you go. Well, geez, this is interesting. Um, we're trying very hard to... <laughs> That stuff doesn't Technology sucks. Okay, we're trying very hard to show you uh, the binocular case. But if you go to alaskaguidecreations.com, you'll see them all different sizes. I picked up one of these for my uh, doll sheep hunt. It's a way to keep all of your gear in front of you and with you. And the most important thing uh, with a with a pack like this I've got to be able to find out how this works here. Uh, the most important thing with a pack like this is that it is going to keep all of your essentials with you at all times. So a lot of times when you go to do a stock, whether it's on a deer or a 
antelope or elk or something like that, and you've got your backpack on, most guys will drop their backpack and take off after the animal. So I've, in my hunting experience, I've put everything I have on a belt, which is fine if you're not carrying a heavy backpack that needs a a belt um, to support the backpack. But if you're in that category, then you need something like this, your binoculars, your range finder, extra ammunition, a headlamp, a, you know, a knife, whatever you would normally need with you goes with you at all times. So if you drop your pack, you are still prepared for making a shot, doing whatever you need to do to hunt and going forward. So Jared, let's just uh, open up with you here. How did you come up with this idea? Uh, you know, when I first started guiding in Alaska, the uh, binoc. You know, I, before you can be a guide, you work as a packer in Alaska, and uh, I had my Leica binoculars, ten forty twos. You know, forty five years ago or fifty years ago, I don't remember exactly, but uh, that was the most valuable thing I owned, and uh, and it's the most valuable thing you can have in open country for hunting. And uh, I wanted to. Prote- I was sleeping with those binoculars, and I wanted to protect them. So I made the pack out of leather. I sewed it up. It was pretty crude, out of leather, and then just put it around my neck. And uh, and then little by little, every year I kept improving on it, so I could have compartments to carry essential items. You know, like I always had my headlamp and fire starter and my hunting license or tags or whatever or a little knife or just all kinds of game calls and things but uh it just i just slow it just slowly evolved you know and uh but it but and now you know and then the past 10 years i started a website because i got so much interest and then and then i really got busy and uh i couldn't handle it all all the calls you know and then I, and Zach and I became buddies, and and he's a great, he's my partner now, and Chad in Utah, and uh, so it's been a, a wonderful deal. And so you these uh, these particular binocular cases, they come in all different sizes because binoculars come in all different sizes, and people have different uses. So you've got some really small ones, all the way up to what, what you're calling the guides um, size, right? Which has extra pockets and stuff. Um, Correct. The other thing I like about this the most, not the most, but a thing I really do appreciate about this are the shoulder straps. Now, a lot of times people will get a shoulder strap that's like padded or thick, and it's not going to work if you're carrying a backpack and you have a, a secondary padded strap underneath the strap for your backpack. That's just going to be a wear point that's going to going to illustrate to you how bad an idea that is over time. So the other way to spread weight over your shoulder is with a wide, thin strap. And so I like this idea that you have. It's it's like a two and a half inch wide strap. It's very flat. It looks like it's breathable mesh material. So you're not going to soak up a lot of sweat on that. But it's not going to interfere with carrying a backpack at the same time. Correct. 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 And 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 I think that like you were saying, the the bino pack is always underneath your your uh, bin, your chest. I mean, underneath your backpack. And it's it's I guess it's a little bit like uh, military. It's your last line of equipment, or or for you know la- you know they have 
different military has different stages. And I guess if they lose their pack and in everything, they still have their first line of stuff that's on them for survival. And you, you know, sometimes, you know, just sometimes you just went wearing your pack and maybe you, you drive, you just drive off the road and you peek over a Canyon to take a little peek. And before you know it, uh, you're coming out of that Canyon six hours later Yep, with a deer or, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you, but you've got a light, you got fire starter in a lot of the essential items in your pack, which is handy, you know. And see, that's what, that's what I've developed on my own is I have, I'll use like the guide belt, uh, or ranger belt, which is kind of load carrying. I've used it for towing things out. I even used it, uh, as a strap around a sagebrush to get an ATV out of a hole. But, uh, <laughs> so it's got a lot of uses, but the yeah. problem is, you know, if I've got my ammo pack on that and I've got a knife and if I've got my, my headlamp and my rangefinder on it, I can't carry a 50-pound backpack because that that other belt goes over the top. So I have actually was struggling with this, not struggling, but trying to think through this idea about this hunt I have coming up in Alaska. Um, how do I want to, to run that? And so finding your particular box, and I've seen a lot, or box, your gear, I've seen a lot of binocular cases, and they're nice, but they didn't have what this one has. It, I mean, this is, you know, 40 years in Alaska. This is what you developed. This is what works. And it's like, okay, you know, why would I reinvent the wheel? This guy knows what he's doing. So I got the, again, I got the Alaska guide. It's got several pockets on it. I can see where I can put the rangefinder on the bottom. I can put my headlamp. Um, one of the things that I will do to modify this pack, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but um, there's a shooting sport called PRS, Practical Rifle Series. And these guys are shooting very accurately, long ranges, very quickly. One of the things that they've developed is a shell holder that's Velcro that goes on the side of their fore end of their stock. So if they run out or have a misfire or something like that, and they don't have the time for drop a magazine, they can reach forward, pull out a shell, and drop it in. I think I'm going to put uh, shell holders on the side of this case. Um, so they'll be out of the way. If you have to crawl, you won't mess it, get them all muddy. But the lip that covers your binoculars will cover the the cases themselves, keep them dry. So I think that would be one thing I'm going to add no. to that. No, there's lots of things you can tailor it to your own needs. Yeah. And I, I used to carry some bullets in there. And I think the, I think Vortex, the, their pack that we made for them has a, a little bullet compartment. Oh, in you, the, you made their pack? Yes. That's awesome. Okay, folks, I want to thank my guest here. He's going to come back on, and he's going to regale us with 40 years worth of stories for the next three segments. 40 years <laughs> worth of stories with Jared Owens of Alaska Guide Hunting. And uh, when I talked to him the other day and set the show up, I said, hey, you know, this is just a conversation as if we're, we're sitting around the fire, the hunting's done, your feet are getting warmed, you might have an adult beverage, and you're just enjoying life. And tell, talking about the sourdoughs and the uh, the old Alaskan hunting way. So uh, we're going to come back right after this commercial. And again, check out alaskaguidecreations.com. Alaskaguidecreations.com. Owner Jared Owens will be right back after this. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick! 
Hello, folks. Welcome back to Boomstick Radio. This is Philip Naiman. Hope you're having a great day. And I know we're going to have a great show here for you. So just stand by for that. Because as you know, every week on the Firing Line Radio Show, our conversation is going to revolve around firearms, hunting, gun rights that are afforded to all Americans under the Second Amendment to the Constitution. Our faithful companion, the battle to uphold these rights, has been Firing Line Radio Show's longtime sponsor, Vince Torres of Bullseye Sports, Guns, and Ammo in Riverside. If you're not armed for protection or recreation, well, shame on you. Head on down to Bullseye Sport in Riverside where you need to go for small arms, rifles, shotguns, ammo, big arms, accessories, and much more. After you purchase that firearm, Vince and I highly recommend you attend a certified firearm safety and training course. Teach you the basic knowledge, skills, attitudes essential to the safe and efficient use of your firearm. For more information about certified firearm courses, call Bullseye Sport in Riverside, 951-823-0211. Visit their website, bullseyesport.com, for a schedule of classes, because at bullseyesports.com, we believe in safety first. Hey, folks, Jarrett Owens is with me here. Jarrett Owens has been a longtime Alaskan guide, uh, 40 years up there. So hopefully, um, you know, Jarrett, I've told everybody you're going to do a great job here, so the pressure's on you, man. My, my, I'm done. I just introduced you, and now it's uh, it's Jared Owen show. So, <laughs> what did I get into? Right? Yeah. Oh, I forgot to tell you about that part. Um, okay. Hey, let's just talk about your first trip to Alaska. How did you end up there? Ooh, my first trip. Well, I I started. Uh, you know, when I was 20 years old, I was I started out guiding on Santa Cruz Island. And before that, I worked for the Forest Service, and uh, I was guiding hunters out there. And then I I met people that hooked me up with guides in Alaska, and I just you know went up there. And to you don't just go up to Alaska and become a guide. No, you have to work as a packer to, to you know to get experienced up there. And I went up and worked as a packer, and I remember my outfitter broke his binoculars broke. And uh, he wanted to borrow mine, and I said no. And uh, he ended up having me guide all the sheep hunts, you know. But <laughs> I'd been a guide all my life or and hunting down here. So anyway, it all worked out. But technically, that wasn't legally the way we were supposed to do things in those days. But it, it all worked out. So what kind of hunting did you guide for? Well, when I first went up, I was working in a in a sheep camp in the Alaska range, you know, and, uh, I remember getting on, you know, I flew into Anchorage and I got on the plane on, on a train that goes up towards Fairbanks. And, and I was amazed to see how many people had 44 Magnums on their hips and, and they would just, everybody was, a lot of people were wearing guns and getting off the train and people are getting, you know, just stopped out in the middle of nowhere and people had guns and get on the train, you know, and, uh, and it's a little bit like the wild west in those days. Well, Alaska's still but a little it, bit like the wild west, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's your, it's, there's more freedom up there, you know? And you're, you're calling from California. So you're actually here in the people's Republic of occupied California. Yes. Yes. Interesting. So that's how you got up there the first time. What are the Alaska? What's the Alaskan range like? Well, it's in the fall. It's some of the prettiest country I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's um, it, there's just so many colors. You know, the blueberry bushes and the 
and the the birch trees and the, just all there's just su- such a wonderful combination of colors it's just drop dead beautiful and it's just a magic time uh of the year up there you know and the and the you know the moose you know about september 15th or so they start coming into the rut and you know and uh you know and it's just uh the you know the patches of blueberries it's the reds and the greens and the yellows and there're just so many uh colors it's like down here in california it's like be, living in watching black and white tv <laughs> yeah. and then you go up there and it's it's living color <laughs> yeah i realized that i did a trip back east and and then came home and i realized that in california we have two seasons brown and concrete you know that's <laughs> that's basically all it looks like all the time um and, and right. other parts of the country are just so much more beautiful uh so you talked about um moose hunting so tell us about the Alaskan right. moose. What's your best Alaskan moose story? What's my best Alaskan moose story? Well, we don't want to hear your worst Alaskan moose story. Tell us no. your best Alaskan moose story. Jeez. God, there's too many. I mean, I brought in over 125 bulls, you know. <laughs> um, uh, I, I can tell you a little about. Let me just tell you a little bit about moose hunting. Sure. Uh I remember when I was buying my tag, and 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 a guy said, uh, "Moose hunting's like like getting married. It's a lot of work. You know, once you shoot one." Uh, I, there, did there did are, you shoot, shoot your wife? <laughs> did you? <laughs> no, no. But what I'm saying is, there. You know, it's a lot. Once you knock a moose down, you know these people shoot a deer and they take care of it and they're used to it, but. When you shoot a moose, it's you know they're up to eighteen hundred pounds. They're right. a big animal. That's ten deer, and uh, and and uh, people aren't um, a lot of people aren't used used to taking care of a moose. You know they're so big. It's you know you know you you know you, there's it's just like uh, like somebody like you say you got to pour cement you know and uh do your driveway if you've never done it before it's a workout or you got to really you got to have it you got to know what you're doing or you're going to have a mess and and moose hunting's a little bit that way you got to know how to take care of a moose and and you need some and it's good to have some help you know if you got you know a couple of people i could take care of a moose in three hours you know but uh with the right couple of people there yeah the right people and you're right in the right technique and the right equipment and stuff but uh they're there you don't you know you shoot a moose you got to get it on its back and and get the horns structured so it's balanced and you you don't gut the moose out you skin it out you right. skin it out like a bear and then you you, you know you cut the head off at the atlas joint and then you you know you get somebody sawing the horns off of that or you cape it and then you you uh you know, you pull all your quarters off and and your back straps and everything, but they're just huge, huge. And you put them all in meat bags and and in Alaska law, meat uh, saving the meat is extremely important. Uh, there, I I don't know how to say this correctly. It's I think you you get in much more trouble wasting meat in Alaska than beating your wife. 
or, or I don't know if that's the way to say it, but uh, they take it really serious about <laughs> about uh, not wasting meat, you know, and and uh, and and uh, there's a, just a huge amount of meat on a moose, and it's and you know and and you got to have the the muscle and the backpacks and the and the ability to get the meat out, you know, so, and and then take care of it. Now, moose don't always live in like nice dry pastures. So, what do you do if you drop one and he falls in the bog? The the first thing they say is the worst thing you can do is shoot a oh. moose in water. Right. And that's what that's the one thing you don't ever want to do. You know, and <laughs> because it's that is it that is a disaster. <laughs> Unless you've got a winch handy, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you just can't. Most people don't have the ability to have a winch. Some of the ATVs have them, but you know, but a lot of a lot of the good moose hunting, it's is you got to be able to carry it on your back and make many trips. You know, and and have some help, and right. and your loads are over a hundred pounds. You know, yeah, and you're walking on the that tundra, that the nasty bog stuff. Well, you're wearing a lot of times you're wearing ankle fit hip boots, and you can be carrying a pack and then and step in those bogs and and just sink right up your hip. You know, or, or get stuck, or, or you can fall down. You know, I broke the and you got to know how to tie the moose on to the pack frames and such. You know, so it's balanced and everything, and uh, and I mean, I've fallen down and snapped the frames right in two. You know, it's just heavy. You know. So, what happens if you give a moose a muffin? If you what? That's <laughs> a kid's book. Sorry. If you give a moose a muffin, he's going to want to have jam to go with it. That's an important thing to remember. So that's how you get him out of the water is you leave a trail of muffins from the water's edge back up to the meadow where you can actually take them out. So, But, yeah, 1,800-pound animal. And, and uh, the Alaskan moose, different from the Western Canadian, the spreads on the antlers can get like 65 to 75 inches, right? That's a really huge one, but in that range? Yes, and and then the, then you have the shiru or whatever is moose in Wyoming and yeah, and way uh, smaller, way way they, way they're, smaller. They're, yeah, they're way way. They're just half the size. Yeah, big animals, but way smaller than Alaskan moose. Folks, I'm here with Jared Owens, AlaskaGuideCreations.com. Check them out. Get some gear from them. We're going to be talking about hunting when we come back. Right after this, have questions about handgun safety, local sports shooting events, or your Second Amendment rights. Just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Get practical advice. No sales pitch. Vince is a straight shooter when it comes to sharing his advice and years of gun experience. Whether you're a seasoned gun owner or a newcomer, at Bullseye Sport, they welcome everyone, especially ladies considering a firearm for the first time. When they go to our store, we want to give them something that they're going to feel comfortable with. And if you're looking to purchase a gun, ammo, or accessories... If we don't have it, we will get it for you. For all the answers to your rifle and handgun questions, just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport. 951-823-0211. Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Proud sponsor of the Firing Line Gun Show, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on AM 590. Follow Bullseye Sport on Facebook for your inventory updates or call 951-823-0211. 951-823-0211. AM 590. The answer. 
This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Spartans, lay down your weapons. Persians, come and get them. Hey folks, Mulan Lave Saturday, Philip Naiman. Hope you're having a great day. Firing Line Radio Show. Get our podcasts at FiringLineRadio.com, FiringLineRadio.com. I'm here with my new best friend, Jared Owens. Jared Owens is owner of AlaskaGuideCreations.com. He makes some fantastic hunting accessories, so if you haven't seen them yet, get on his website, check them out. I picked one up. No, he didn't give it to me. I bought it, It's uh, and I think it's well worth the money, so really excited about using this thing. Uh, especially up on this this sheep hunt. Now, we just took a break, and on the break, you started talking about uh, a different animal in Alaska that I didn't mention. You know, we always think about the moose, the bears, the doll sheep, the caribou, but Ala- but Alaska has mountain goats too. So tell us about mountain goats and a little bit of mountain mountain goat hunting. Uh, well, like mount, it's it's just getting to your mountain goats and your sheep. The secret to mount hunt. Goat hunting, sheep hunting, is is uh, putting your backpack on and, and getting up above the animals, you know, and then you can. But uh, I can remember the the first time I I went on a goat hunt, and I was with Ron Hayes, and we flew around in a Super Cub for God, we flew around a Super Cub for hours looking for these goats, in in way back in the McCarthy Glacier country, and. And, uh, and it was turbulent, and, and everybody was filling up Ziploc bags and th- throwing up and filling them, throwing them out. And, and they finally <laughs> landed, and he could land in very difficult places and dropped us off with some food and or some canned goods and then our freeze dry. And we climbed up. We climbed for nine hours up that mountain, and we, we only got halfway up. And uh, then we uh, then, you know, we spent the night on a cliff all tied in tied all our packpacks to alders and then the next morning we climbed up and got up on top and got and then we couldn't find the goats and then we put our tent up and the wind blew so hard it blew the grommets out of our tent we had all kinds of thousand pounds of rocks around to hold everything and then and uh and and we and then we finally we couldn't find the goats i remember he did a parachute dropped a parachute of food out to us but we then we couldn't get it it was out on a cliff it took another day to get it and then we we finally found the goats and we went after them and we shot the goats and they they slid down the mountain but they went underneath the underneath the snow down in like a waterfall goes underneath the snow and and then uh, I had to go down tie all this parachute cord together and go down and pull the goats out and and get them caped out and get all the meat. And then we went on down. This took us seven days to get these goats off this mountain. Then we climbed on down the mountain. And then we only got halfway down. Then we spent the night halfway down. Then we went on down. Oh, we went on down. We made it back to where the Super Cub dropped us off. Then he flew over the Super Cub, or the Super Cub flew over us, and he threw a rock, put a rock in a piece of paper and plastic or something, threw it out and said, I can't land. The river's gone up too high with all the rain. Hike down the hike down the river three or four miles and see if you can find a place that I can land, you know, another place to land, you know. And 
And so we went on another little death march and hiked all the way down. They finally got us out of there, but I got both those kids their goats, but it took seven days and it, and their father thought it was a nice little, little animal for them to hunt. We didn't realize that I could have got them any animal two or three times easier than those goats. So communicating with the airplane, he flies over, ties a, a note to a rock, throws it down to you. So how did you answer him? Did you have to tie a, a note to a rock and throw it back up in his window as he flew past? <laughs> no, you don't, you don't get to answer him. <laughs> you, don't have, you know, they just, you know, it's, sometimes they, you know, sometimes they'll, They'll, you know, yell at you, turn the engine off and fly over real quick and yell at you. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but they, you know, short landing, takeoff, they fly 30 miles an hour. Right, right. But it, it's just dangerous landing and all those. Uh, but that's the secret. That's the secret to getting in the good hunting areas is is being a expert with a super cub. But, but they, you know, they price a super cub into the hunt. A lot of these hunts, they they crack up a lot of them, you know, and uh, any, you know, anytime you can get out of a super cub without getting hurt, that's, you know, that's so good. <laughs> well, that's a good one. I was talking with Mont but, uh, over at Alaska Guide uh, Service. Um, I think he's got like 4,500 hours in a super cub. So he's still alive. So I think he's a pretty good pilot on that. that that's my hope anyway. Right. Yeah, so he he's made no, it this far. He hopefully he hasn't no, burned his whole his whole luck candle down to the wick, but but no, a lot. Of, I would say fifty percent of the real avid super cub hunt people and got aren't here. You know, <laughs> you know, it catches up with them. You know, it just yeah. Well, boy, you're just full of all kinds of good news. I better make sure I got my disability and life insurance paid up before I go. <laughs> so the mountain goat itself, now, it's a pretty unique-looking animal. And we do have them in, in uh, the lower 48 also. But explain what they look like. Well, they're, they're just a white, just like a white goat, but they're much heavier. They're just much heavier, and they're beautiful. That big hump, and, yeah. and the, you know, and the later. This the is later radio. We have get... to we have to use word pictures. So, I mean, tell them about the size of them and, and what they actually can climb on. Well, I think mountain goats have suction cups on their feet. The way they walk, they have huge hoofs, and and I, those mountain goats go places. Uh, I think a doll sheep would would die following a mountain goat. Uh, because they go right out on these these cliffs, so it's hundreds of foot drop off. And in fact, mount, mountain goats end up dying, slipping on the ice at times. But uh, they just go on bird. They just walk on vertical places that are scary. They look like a rock climber, right? Those those guys that are cl- hanging on their yeah, fingers. They, they, yes, they they are the real rock climber without ropes. And their body is different. Their chest is much bigger than their hips, right? Yeah, they're they're huge chests. You know, they have a huge chest. You know, and their hair is extremely long. Now they stay out. They don't migrate off, right? They stay on the mountain year round. Yes, yes. So you think about what kind of fur you would need to survive a Alaska winter up on those mountains, and uh, you can see how long and beautiful that big white hair is. But their their horns, they're probably. 
less sought after because their horns just are, you know, nine or ten inches long and straight or slightly curved. Yeah, a ten-inch goat is a good goat, you know. Yeah, right. And and so here's a big, giant animal with little ten-inch horns, and it, so it doesn't look as as dramatic maybe as a doll sheep. Maybe that's why they're not as sought after. Plus, as more difficult as the hunt is, from what you just said. They're- yeah, they're kind of, I don't know how to say it. Maybe they're built like a gorilla a little bit. They're right. just Low hips, know. big chest, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do they throw poop at you too, like the gorillas at the zoo? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing, right? Last thing, you right, climb up the right. hill and they throw poop at you. It's just not fun. Right. Okay, so we've got the Alaskan, uh, we've got the mountain goats that you have up there. We talked a little bit about your, some of your sheep hunting. So... Let's talk, let's get it, or your moose hunting, excuse me. Let's get into the bears as we, as we talk about this, because we've got two kinds of bears in Alaska. Have you had a lot of experience with the grizzly or brown bears? Yes. You, yeah, I have. I've done a lot of brown bear hunting down on the peninsula. All right. Explain what a brown bear looks like. They're just, they're just huge, you know, that's, uh, I mean, you know, they're just, you know, they can get, I don't know exactly how much, you know, we don't weigh them, but they can get be over a thousand pounds and, and you, you know, everybody's looking, dream is to shoot a 10 foot brown bear, you know. So the paw size on some of these monsters, I mean, the width of the front paws. It's probably twice as wide as your front hand you know so eight or nine inches okay. wide yeah yes and that's that's a nine, full size ten, ten, ten inches yeah. wide so is there a rule for the width of the front paw versus the size of the bear there there's sort of a, a rule like like if it's eight inches across you add an inch and that's a nine that's probably a nine foot bear a, kind of a rule like that right right yeah same thing with black bears just just checking with that but yeah um, but the claw difference right what are the claws like on a nine-foot bear well they're they're huge they're huge and some of them are big long as your fingers so four or five inch claws no not that long uh i don't know have long fingers yeah yeah, <laughs> but, but they don't, you know, they don't, brown bears, they don't, they're bigger and they don't climb up trees, you know, like a black bear will. Right. Hey, folks, this is Philip Naiman here with Jared Owens. Jared Owens, 40 years of guiding in Alaska, alaskaguidecreations.com. We're going to come right back here and talk more about bear hunting and other great things that happen up there. We'll be right back after this. Hi, folks, Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. 
CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated million dollars for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. Hey folks, Philip Naiman. Join us on FiringLineRadio.com for our podcast, FiringLineRadio.com, where you can get, download this, share it, send it to your friends. And we're talking with Jarrett Owens. God bless you. Jarrett Owens again uh, from AlaskaGuideCreations.com, AlaskaGuideCreations.com. He's the inventor of the fantastic binocular pack and other gear you can find there. Now, uh, those of you who uh, are listening on the radio, not following along on the on the podcast, listening on the radio he just promised me a big, bad, scary bear story to end this show with. So, without further ado, Jared, you have the con. Hi. Um, I mean, I've been on a ton of bear hunts, and I can talk all day, but but I'll, just to give you an idea of, of what it's like, I was got... Uh, you know, I was guiding a friend of mine, which is an extra pressure when your friends come up and, and we glassed hard, you know, we're on the Alaska peninsula. It was springtime. That's the best time to get your big bears. And, uh, we're glassing hard and, uh, we hadn't seen anything for five, six days. You know, we'd seen bears, but nothing big. And, uh, I think on the sixth day we seen this huge brown bear. And it was a t- honest ten footer, and it was, but it was way up high in the snow, and no guide in his right mind would go after this bear. It's too far, and but we, you know, we're young and full of energy, and we took off after this bear and climbed way up high in the snow, and then we couldn't even follow his tracks where the, you know, where he, you know, it was frozen so hard the bear just went across hanging on with his claws. It was so steep. But we kept on following other directions, and we we finally came to this canyon, and uh, and we looked down in there and couldn't and and we and I couldn't see couldn't find him, and he'd gone down and taken a nap, and he was about four or five hundred yards across, and I blew, the way I found out is I got on my varmint call and blew on it, and the bear moved, and we and stood up a little bit, and we spotted him. And I got on the call, and he started heading down towards the river, which was along with, you know, six, 800 yards or further. And so we went down the other side of the canyon and got to the river. And uh, somehow we came out on the other side of the river, and uh, we waited and watched the alders come, come on down. And you could just see the alders moving, and the bear popped out. And I remember my hunter had a 350 Magnum, and I kept telling him it was a BB gun. And when he seen that 10-foot bear at 50 yards, he was happy to borrow my 375, and he shot it three times and made really good shots. Then I handed him his gun, and he shot it three more times, and I loaded mine, and the bear was down. 
and uh, we were all excited and happy. And we went we went over there and and tried to drag the, move the bear out of the alders, and st- so we could get a photograph and uh, get ready to skin it. And just while we were doing that, I heard this uh, whistle sound. And I kept hearing this whistle, and, and he says, oh, that's just a parka squirrel. I said, no, we got a foot of snow on the ground. There's no squirrels out. And uh, so we got, our binoc- we got our binoculars, and we started looking way up high in the snow, snowy mountains and the glaciers, and uh, looked way up there. And and he says, I think I see a bear. He's, and I looked through my binoculars. I said, no, that's a guy waving his hand. And what we did not know is my my uh, outfitter uh, Steve Black and uh, and the other pilot uh, were flying were flying. I'd broke my back three months before this, and they were checking on me because I'd gone off a cliff. But that's another story. But anyway, they were looking for us, checking on us, and uh, they had an accident in the carburetor iced up or I don't know what, and they flew into the mountain and, uh, one of the, one of the pilot, Terry, uh, was killed in the crash. And my, my boss and outfitter, Steve Black, uh, you know, broke his leg three places and, and other things too. And, uh, but he managed to climb out of the super cub and then he knew we were in this, general area and and he was up on the mountain you know trying to pull himself down he made a splint for his leg very tough guy yeah and uh and he was whistling because he'd heard us shooting i guess and uh, which was it's just a miracle that god let us know this you know to just with the river running and everything to hear even hear these whistles and uh so i told my buddy Jim Rocks did. I said, I said, can you I, can you hike up there, hike up that way, and then motion me if you need help. But I said, I got to get this bear skinned, or the cape's going to slip because there's so much body heat right, right. in a thousand pound animal. The hair will slip and spoil. And so he st- hiked up there for forty five minutes, and then and then and then looked through his binoculars and could see we had a problem. And then he motioned for me to come on up. I looked through my binoculars, could see him. And uh, but you can just this is just another uh, case that shows how how valuable binoculars are, you know, for us to spot him even up there, let alone your trophy animals. Anyway, we got up there and found out what a catastrophe we had and we drug him all the way. He's twice as big as we were and we had to drag him all the way down the mountain. And it was so steep, if you drug him out on the wrong edge, you you know, there's cliffs, and you couldn't drag him back uphill. And so we had to really be careful to get in the route all the way down. We drug him down to where the bear was and had to drag him across the river. And Steve was, he says, you, did you get the bear? And I said, yes. He says, get me inside to hide. He was shivering, you know. And, uh, and so I went to skin out. You know, a 10-foot bear, you just don't skin a bear out that quick. No. And uh, I did it the fastest I could um, because I left the fat on it more. And right. uh, But it took me about – I did get it skinned out in about an hour. And it was, and, uh, 
and then we we rolled him up in the hide. You know, we laid the hide out and put the hair, but with the hair on the inside. Right. So, you know, and he's wet, and but it was the best thing we could do with a foot of snow on the ground, and rolled him up in this giant bear hide, and then we took off to go back to to the spike camp, which is three or four miles back, and uh, and then the tide came in and the rivers all came up and we were had water up to our waist across some of these rivers and we got back to the camp and we triggered off the ELT of the other airplane that sends a signal but we're five six hundred miles from Anchorage it's just out it's wild you know and then we we went back and got some sleeping bags and uh I forget a bunch of different things we came back put him inside two sleeping bags and uh and got some more other things and then I remember we had one sleeping bag left, and it was like 2.30 in the morning. And uh, I don't know if Jim will appreciate this, but I, Jim and I <laughs> Jim and I crawled in this. We're really good buddies, but not quite this good a buddy. But we crawled in this sleep mummy bag together in the snow. And, and, uh, that's, and to this day, Jim Rockstead buys big sleeping bags. And uh, any, any, anyway, we... I now I got up. It's about four thirty in the morning. It was light, you know. It gets the days are very long, you know. It doesn't right. get dark till eleven at night, in the spring. And uh, let's see. Then we, I, uh, they told me to hike over this mountain range, and the snow was three feet deep up there. But I found a caribou and bear trail, and and I'm in my ankle foot hip boots, and I hiked over this mountain range. Because we had another hunter in the next bay who was with a doc guiding a doctor, and I'd never been there before, but I hiked down there and I through the binoculars I was able to find the camp, and I hiked down the camp and I put my space blanket out on the on a bush and I uh, I had these little flare things I shot three of them up in there and then I shot my three seventy five three times, and uh, then I didn't know what else to do I sat down I guess I fell asleep. And uh, I was pooped out, and uh, they they heard the shots, and they came back to their their camp and woke me up. And then I told them what I felt like I'd been there forever. <laughs> and then, and I only anyway they came down, and and I told them what a mess we had on. And then we and then the so the other guy decided to hike over another mountain range to a place where they. Uh, have a they were doing a herring study and there was you know somebody would have a radio over there and uh so he hiked over there and then i took the doctor back with me and we hiked back and got back that evening and uh they the other guide was able to hook up with their the radios to somebody else that got a hold of coast guard and they got a big helicopter that came in and uh, landed, and I still remember that helicopter landed, landing because it had so much power. It blew the. We had this army cot we brought back to carry him back, which would have, I don't know if we, we yeah. could have ever done it. But anyway, uh, it blew that cot 50, 60 feet in the air. Jeez. And uh, anyway, after that, that's that's an Alaskan disaster. But you guys all came out yeah. right, right? But yeah, and then and I still remember the story. The the Coast Guard people that went to uh, pick us up, they, they knew we were thrashed. And the, and the guy said to me, 
he says, I'm sorry, uh, this is emergency Coast Guard and stuff. We're not allowed to carry uh, trophies and guns and stuff, but we can give you a ride back to your camp. And, and then, and then the other guy, you know, they felt sorry for us. And, and he says, I'm not looking. And I didn't even understand. I was so pooped out. And, the, and then that meant, so we load all loaded everything up. The, yeah. Three of us to throw that bear hide in the helicopter and the guns nice. and in our backpacks. And that's in within and that's, 10 minutes. They had us back to our base camp that's on the awesome. beach. You we're, know. we're out of, we're out of time here. I got to run. Okay. Jared, thank you. Alaska guide creations. Check them out there. Folks, Philip name and firing Land radio show. We'll be back next week, with, and maybe we'll have Jared back on for some more stories. God bless folks. <laughs> Shoot Felipe. Shoot. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. AM 590, the answer.